order on my screen. Hey everybody, welcome to Swedenborg Live. Today we're talking about John 3.16 and whatever else happens to come up. My name is Curtis Childs and I'll be your host. And I'm happy because whenever we get to talk about Swedenborg stuff and about the core of life, I'm happy. So thanks to all of you who are there and watching for making this possible. Hey, it's not just me. I know if it was just me, you'd be out of here so fast. We have a lot of cool panelists here and let's uh, take a second, get to meet them. Before we do though, Start entering, entering your questions in the chat. This is a live Q&A show. We don't know what you're going to ask. So write something in and, and we'll know what to discuss. So who's going to discuss it with me? Uh, take it away. Hello, I'm Karen Childs, community manager and writer on Off the Left Eye. So happy to be here with you today. And I'm Chelsea Odner, a writer also, and I do production management for Off the Left Eye. I'm Cara Dom, and I'm the Latin consultant, and I work as part of the community response team. How how fortunate are we? I mean, you you couldn't find very many people that know their Swedenborg stuff better than our assembled company here. So we're really excited to to get that going. Um, and uh, what we want to start with is the reflection question. So there is a question we ask you every week, and this week, just yesterday. We asked something and we're gonna play your answers here live on air because we love the back and forth. That's what this is all about. The question was, what are ways that you have seen God's love manifesting in earthly life? Because we would just talk about God loves me, God loves everything, but nobody ever sees any of it. What is it? Is it really there? So Karin, what did people have to say about that? Yeah, we got a lot of beautiful responses that really were moving to me. I'm gonna read a sampling of them and we had to um, edit them down. But this is about how, you know, the, the Lord, connecting with the Lord is the same as connecting with goodness. And where do you see that showing up in life? So here's some responses. Every single day of my son's life, he has Down syndrome. In the way God is leading me away from my worst tendencies, births of my grandchildren, feeling God in nature when it's very calm, I have often tread where angels fear to go because I can feel him in me and with me. I feel God's love like the rays of the sun reflecting everywhere, but you have, have sometimes to stand still to appreciate it. It's all around us, actually. Who knows what it actually is, but multiple times a day, I will see the number 44. <laughs> Through yoga, but not the exercise that is taken or understood as yoga, yoga of goodness and truth, Yoga means marriage or union. I survived childhood sexual trafficking. I gave vengeance to God and prayed for many years and watched the feeling inside go from kill them to compassion. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's very powerful. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Jesus coming to me while in prayer and pouring his heart into me. When my youngest son passed, a friend's father who had never met me loaned me $6,000 for the funeral parlor. And one of my son's friends now calls me his adopted mom. Hmm. Global awareness and desire to use our technological advances to improve our environment and live a more valuable and purposeful life. Where people have worked as peacemakers in difficult, dangerous situations. No matter how far away I drift from God's love, judgmental thoughts, narcissistic tendencies, etc. the sting of my consciousness in the midst of these experiences. Mm. 
the little things, like when I need to park my car and there are no available spaces, I say a prayer and a parking space is made available. The parking prayer. <laughs> Every time I do acts of kindness, it is God helping me and my husband to do it. My liver transplant. Hmm. Every time I see a person or group give money or food or build houses for those in need, I see God's love. Far too many ways, but recently God helped me reach out and try to reconcile with someone I had felt continuously wronged by and had hardened my heart towards. Wow. And finally, organ donation. I've had two living donors. Miracle. And there were more. Go, go check it out on our social media platforms. But uh, what a, a variety from the smallest things to very big deals. Um, God can be found in all those places. And wasn't I saying we're talking about the core of life? And nobody's telling those people you have to attribute those situations to God. They're saying, I, listen, I'm feeling God here in this. So that's awesome. All right, we're going to get to some live questions from all of you. Before we do, we always have a some kind of carrot, right? If we reach, usually it's like if we reach a certain amount of money donated, we'll do an extra 15 minutes of Q&A. It's different this time. This time, we want people to sign up to our email list. Did you know we have a new website in the email list? We are working to find the most convenient way to get you the spiritual nutrition you need over the course of a week. And if you don't, you're not always diving into YouTube all the time. We have these really cool, really quick five-minute emails that we send out to people to update them on what we're doing. So if we can get five people to sign up to the email list while we're broadcasting, then... We'll do an extra 15 minutes. Two things about that. First of all, how you sign up is you go to offtheleftei.com slash subscribe. The link is in the description. Click see more and you'll be able to click it there. And also you need to self-report if you did it because the notifications don't come immediately from people who do that. So we can't tell. So you just have to say in the chat, I signed up for the email and just do it and just tell the truth. And if five people do that, we'll do our extra 15 minutes. Mm -hmm. That said, we still have our matching campaign going on. If you want to go to uh, offtheleftei.cosvox.com, is it otle.cosvox.com, and donate, anything really helps, and it gets matched one-to-one, -one, so you twice as much money goes into making this program possible. So, hey, support us, and hopefully we'll be able to do some extra time here. Okay, without further ado, the first question today, Don McCree asks, what does Swedenborg say about how some people seem to have a much harder life while others seem to have it easy? Laboring in the vineyard, for how long, right? Isn't that sort of like that biblical story? And it does seem like, that's not fair. Why is, why is God uh, loading some of us up more than others? Let's, uh, let's dig into that. Um, and I'll start with current. Yeah, looking at that, if we look externally at just earthly life and circumstances that people deal with, it can look very unfair, and it is very unfair on that external level. But that's where it helps me to trust in God's providence, in divine providence, who sees the whole life story, the eternal life story of each person. And so anything we go through in this life is helping to craft us into the best potential version of ourselves that is possible. And it's not that God wills any of the hardships, 
because God never wills hardships, but this life has just become very messed up here on the earthly plane, a lot of spiritual pollution, a lot of physical pollution. And so things don't work as they should. And so people do go through hardships, but God makes sure that any hardships that come along are only allowed to happen if that person can somehow benefit in in the end, um, if somehow that strengthens their spirit, because we can know from many experiences in this life that going through something hard can do amazing things to strengthen you, to wake you up, to understand more about life, to understand more about what other people go through, deepens you. There's many um, amazing things that happen in our spirits due to uh, you know external hardships. And so um, we should never try to measure this or that and say, oh, that might mean they're a better person and a worse person because you absolutely can't tell from the outside and the external circumstances. But for me, it just helps to trust that whatever is happening in this life, this, this earthly part of the life journey of each person, God is going to use that to especially hone that person's ability to be an amazing version of themselves in their eternal story. Yeah. And something that um, strikes me hearing you describe that, Karen, is that, um, you know, and I thinking about what, you know, what does Swedenborg say about it? But some, this thought that came to me is just that it's like the, the work that the Lord wants to do in our life is sort of the same for everybody. And yet of an infinite variety, because we're all these unique um, combinations of love and wisdom from the Lord. And so uh, it, it was making me think of the, how the reason why that works is the same reason why there can be like the one, the, the Bible, you know, like this one text, and yet it can speak to everybody because no matter what circumstances our own life is filled with, the, the message and like the core storyline that's happening is, is written into the, you know, spiritual meaning of the Bible. And we can find that resonance no matter what our circumstances are in our life. Um, and, and so there's sort of this, just that cool combination that uh, we all, there is that universal story for everyone, no matter how drastically different our life circumstances can seem. We're all on this, you know, we're all human and finite before God and on this path of spiritual regeneration and growth. Um, so, yeah. I just wanted to say that um, several times in the whole huge, long Secrets of Heaven work, 15 volumes, Swedenborg refers to the Lord's mercy. The Lord has mercy on the human, the entire human race consigned as it is to misery. So Swedenborg's view is that the entire human race <laughs> is in misery and having a hard time, um, which, it, it, I mean, that's just kind of rude because I understand the question. Some people seem like they're having an easier time on the outside, but I know plenty of people that on the outside look like it's all easy and fine, but their personal lives, their emotions, their relationships, all challenging, you know, lots of challenges to go around. Well, that's a, that's a great point um, that First, we don't know whose life is hard and whose life is easy. Swedenborg talks about 
happiness. And he said, isn't that what the rich seek in riches and the powerful seek in power is happiness? That you can have everything in the world. And if you don't spiritually, if you're not given states of joy and gladness, you're not happy. And you can have very turbulent external circumstances, but you can find happiness in them. I think if you just looked at my life, right, in a different, if you were going to try to pick out when were the most difficult points in your life, just like you're saying, you probably wouldn't be able to pick them out if you weren't me, because you wouldn't, you wouldn't know. Um, but also you can't, you can't measure the thing without eternity. I mean, there's no ratio between what's infinite and what's finite. I think everybody's life is laid out so that this, the, import, the maximum spiritual progress that can be made will be made because the spiritual progress we make here has eternal happiness. It, it, it pays off forever. Like what we invest here pays off forever. So you can't compare momentary sorrow here to forever happiness. So it may be, may well even be that some of the people who are going through harder things have, you know, God can somehow see the potential to make real spiritual progress above and beyond. And so we're, we're led into more things that were, you never know, but, but the reason is happiness. The reason is the freeing from evil and falsity that, that it's only through spiritual struggles times of crisis that we can actually replace evil and falsity with goodness and truth. So that's great. Thanks. Uh, thanks Don for that question. Uh, let's move on to our next one. Cause we got uh, Tom E who asks, does the Lord view practicing charity to the neighbor differently if it's done out of obedience versus out of a true feeling of love? In other words, fake it till you make it. <laughs> oh, that's a great one. So what do you guys think? Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> I don't have to be the person answering this, but, um, I, uh, so does the Lord view practicing charity to the neighbor differently if it's done out of obedience versus out of a true feeling of love? And, uh, I just think there's definitely some usefulness the, the fake it to you, fake it till you make it is a very important part of the whole equation of becoming a human being through the Lord. And, um, and so probably like 99% of the time in our life, we're doing out of obedience. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Just want to give you a really, really low bar there because um, that's, that's a useful way of, of functioning because we're, we're not in control of the, of the loving part, really. Swedenborg says that, that we, we are only in control of those outer choices of like, I'm going to do this because it's the right thing to do or whatever. And we, it's it's the Lord's domain inside of us that that uh, brings actually changes our self will and gradually grows this new will inside of us that that has a home that can have the Lord's love in it that can actually love other people from a genuine place and so we might even be experiencing loving but we just have no sense of where we all where we are on that you know progression of developing a new will and um, and similar to the last question. Some people, you know, you just have a lot of, uh, you know, inherited evil baggage that's really not your fault, but it just is blocking your ability to, to, you know, kind of show up maybe in the way that you feel like I have this intention to do this. But there's just a lot of things that are outside of your control in terms of, you know, maybe not feeling like you can muster it or it's just not working out in your life. Like, why don't I feel differently? And that's just kind of like, it's not our control. And to, it's so useful to just hand that over and do the next right thing and know that the Lord is doing this crazy, intricate process of removing gradually when it's safe enough, when it's okay to sort of break these 
evils inside of us and forge this new love. Um, and, and so, I mean, I've been growing up with these teachings my whole life and, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'm anywhere there or not on, in my own, uh, life. So it's interesting to think about, you know, just, are we ever, do we ever even reach that in our lifetime where we can go through states where we feel more loving or not, but it's really up to the Lord. That's right. Up to the Lord. I, I love it. Um, thanks for that food for thought. I want to say you may have noticed everyone we're creeping up the new subscribers here. We got thanks to Miguel, Marie, GC, and Pamela. Woo! You won't regret it. It's 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 not some kind of annoying email thing. Like we have really worked hard to make these really succinct and really informative, and you should it should be a joy and an uplift whenever they come in to your inbox. Okay, so we're talking about practicing charity, and you know because I have to or because I want to. So thanks, Chelsea, for those thoughts. Karen, did you have some? Oh, Kara next. Oh, okay. Then, hey, go for it. Okay. Hello, everybody. Um, well, Chelsea was talking about that some of us have sort of hereditary issues that make it hard to uh, just be the kind of peace we, person we want to be. But Swedenborg also talks about those of us who have a kind of a natural level goodness, just an earthly, like it just comes natural to be friendly and helpful but that's not really getting anywhere either. You know, it's, it's just sort of a comeuppance for some of us to realize, oh, it's just easy to do that. You know, it makes fewer waves. It's uh, less conflict. It's just easy. So even if it does come naturally to you, it's still not the same thing as Chelsea's talking about when the Lord is actually reforming your will and that you're, you're doing it from a, a real love for it instead of a convenience or a something that's easy to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I ask you to think about the analogy of a very loving parent or loving teacher and a child who's learning to play the violin and does, does the, the loving adult love the child less because they're not skilled yet or just loves that they're working on it and loves that they're in the process of going towards this wonderful skill. So I think the Lord loves anything that we are trying, you know, if we're in the stage of just total obedience, because there's a, there's a good want behind that. Even if one level of you doesn't want to be nice, there's a deeper level of you that wants to, wants to want to be nice. You know, So you're going to, um, there, there's a different kind of, there's a faking, like a hypocritical fake to try to trick people or something, but there's a very good faking it, meaning that's who I wish I was all the way through. And even if I don't feel that right now, I want to act that way because that's what I want to be. And that's wonderful and beautiful. And the Lord loves that because that's you, you know, practicing your violin and maybe you're aw awkward at it, but the Lord just loves that you're you're making any effort at all because when we're making any effort at all, the Lord can be working on our hearts and replacing our hearts of stone with a heart of flesh, as the Bible says, just feeling by feeling. And that is like Chelsea said, that's, that's the Lord's work. It's not something we can control our feelings. We can just recognize the feelings to turn away from and the feelings to turn towards. So 
fake it till you make it is is wonderful and and the lord smiles on that <laughs> yeah and it makes, makes me think of um the verse it kind of connects with the verse in the bible that talks about how um you know there's more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents then over a thousand or whatever it is people who need no repentance and so that's a similar thing of like you know we uh doing it out of obedience when we aren't feeling loving that's like a huge win you know like there's a lot so in terms of viewing it differently of like that's actually that is that tenderest you know uh sort of exciting and meaningful time in our spiritual lives to be making that initial effort. And then, you know, it can become more habitual later on, or, you know, we, we really grow and change and that's good. You know, that's angelic and heavenly, but that, that early, those phases are so important. Yeah. And I think doing good out of obedience is very natural. Like it's perfectly natural. It has, it is a part of our progression. It would be like, how, how does the Lord feel about us crawling before we can walk? You have to do crawling. Not every baby does that, but you have to do the obedience. He talks about moving from being um, earthly to spiritual to celestial and essentially, or, or heavenly, right? And spiritual is essentially your truth led. You know you're supposed to do it, so you want to do it. But being heavenly is love led. That's when you want to do it, so you pick up the knowledge. But that those progress like that. He also talks about... Uh, what is it, conjugal simulations or marital simulations where when the, when a couple reaches a point where they're really not feeling love for each other is a good, useful part of the process to act civilly and even caringly toward each other, even while the feelings aren't there, and that actually acting like that can stimulate the feelings eventually. So I think we do that in the same way with our own everything. Everything is going to be part, especially while we're alive in the physical world everything is going to be part because you know you're supposed to do it and that's fine i think it's it's perfectly natural and yeah and just to even carry this on a little bit further but another bible quote that comes to my mind is the verse in the old testament where it says um you know all that the lord has spoken we will do and hear and i had a conversation with a jewish woman once about that verse because i was like well, shouldn't it be you hear first and then you do it you know like you're you're listening and so then you go and do the thing you were told to do and and she said how like, no, it's really important that it's do and then hear because it means practice it and then you'll come to understand or you'll come to really embody it. And so that doing always has to come first before the embodying what you're doing and really understanding it and, and being changed by it. And um, and so that's, that also relates, I think. That's awesome. Uh, I love it. Great note to end on. Uh, thanks so much, Tom E. for the question. Hey, just so everybody knows, off to lefteye.com slash subscribe. We just need one more email subscriber and then we'll do our extra 15 minutes. It could be you, you could go down in history as the fifth <laughs> one. All right, let's take a look at the next question. This is from Marge Tiefenbach who asks, does Swedenborg ever talk about forgiveness in things we are sorry about? So I read that as if we have regret around something, can we be forgiven for it? I know a lot of people carry around a lot of guilt. So what uh what's the answer there? Yeah, Karen. Swedenborg learned a remarkable thing that we we think of forgiveness as very conditional, like um if we you know, like uh, conditional on God's part. Like if we're sorry, then will God forgive us? But Swedenborg learned that 
God's forgiveness is constant. Like God's forgiveness is flowing out constantly. He's never not forgiving us. And the, the difference is on our end, meaning as soon as we sincerely regret something and regret it, meaning don't want to do it again, <laughs> then we are stepping into that forgiveness. So think of it like an aura, the, the aura of forgiveness. And we, if we're engaged in negative stuff and harmful stuff, we're kind of standing outside that, that aura. But once we regret that, regret the harm and say, I don't want to be that, I, I regret doing that, I don't want to do it again, we're stepping into that forgiveness and receiving it. And that is, that is the reality of it. It's not a conditional thing on the part of the Lord. So God is just waiting there with forgiveness. And it's just a matter of us being willing to, to step into it by regretting. And the other thing I was going to say, oh, I've talked to many people online about they're thinking about something in the past that they did. And and it's obviously they're not doing that thing anymore, but they're feeling guilt about something they did in the past and wondering, will God forgive me for that? And I'm, I'm trying to communicate to them, if you are not doing that right now because you don't want to be that anymore and you don't want to do that anymore, you are already forgiven. Like you don't have to worry about something done in the past if that's not who you are today. So it's, it's kind of like the, the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. He, he did not condemn her. He just said, go and don't do that anymore. And like, that's, that's what it takes. It's not, he's harping back to something you did. He said, right now, go forward and don't do it anymore. <laughs> and that is forgiveness. So that's, that's, that's great. Yeah. It's about, it's not about, the external action is about how you feel about the action now, because that's all we can control is how we feel now. Um, I just want to mention, I was talking about, hey, we need another email subscriber. If you missed that at the beginning, if you did subscribe, we can't know that. The notifications don't come in fast enough. You have to type it in the chat and say, I subscribed, I promise, and then we'll count you. So you may have already done it. We just don't know. Okay, so more about forgiveness. Cara or Chelsea? Yeah, well, just um, that... One of the ways that Swedenborg writes about it, uh, and and the and this is reflected in the Bible when it talks about the Lord, but you know it doesn't use the word forgiveness all the time. I mean, it does when talking about, um, uh, you know, Jesus uses it and talking about forgiving seven times, seven times or whatever. And um, but uh, one way that Swedenborg writes of it is just the Lord being mercy itself. You know, so that it's just another you know, words are these things and you might feel more resonant one way about it than another, but like the Lord is mercy itself. And that is that what Karin was talking about, about how being the very thing just means we can, we are, we can open up to that um, and, and receive that uh, presence in ourselves. And so that's just part of who God is. God can't not be that merciful, forgiving thing, being. So, yeah. Yeah, I and I think one of the challenges is, first of all, accepting that truth that Chelsea's talking about is that Lord, the Lord is just constant mercy and compassion and forgiveness. And then the next step is to forgive yourself for whatever state you were in when such and such happened. 
um, and don't keep beating yourself up about it, whatever it was. That's another challenge that we humans have to go through. <laughs> yeah, and, and just to say, if, if Marge or whoever's listening isn't like, if this is sounding sort of foreign or something, it's like, because I know for myself, it can be hard to really connect into like, how do you show love for yourself? You know, how do you forgive yourself? Uh, and, uh, you know, is it just a mental thought? And I really think, um, you know, there's, there's like meditation practice practices, you can search like forgiveness meditation and different resources like that. Um, and teachers where it's like actually sort of taking the time to send yourself even with like a form of touch and send a message of love and forgiveness to yourself, those sorts of like actual actions as if somebody else is sort of giving you this blessing of forgiveness is really, is really powerful to really bring it down into your body and, and open up to it in a full, fully sensory way. So it's not just sort of, well, I know I am forgiven, but I don't feel any better, you know, or something like really sort of feeling um, that love uh, is, is powerful. It's yeah. totally powerful. And I, I think one of the key things that Swedenborg gives us is this insight he has insight into the spiritual world which is really insight into the core of life and I, I think about the insight into the nature of hell or what is evil and negative and false and heaven what is good is and good and true and he meets these evil spirits who embody the principles of evil and good spirits or angels that embody the principle of love and this fascinating counterintuitive thing that he says over and over in all these different places is that evil spirits, people engrossed in evil are very interested in judging and blaming people and accusing people of evil. Whereas angels are absolutely interested in overlooking anything bad you've done and putting a good interpretation on it. As he said, there are pangs of conscience. We can feel bad about things we've done, but most likely if you're walking around and there's this, Hey, you're a terrible person. That's what hell does. And he just over and over says, heaven is not interested in judging you for that. Heaven is interested in putting a good interpretation on it, which is, I wouldn't have necessarily thought that, but he's reporting that that's the nature of it. So that's pretty freeing to know that it, it cor correlates with the life reviews that near-death experiencers undergo because they say, I was doing the judging. God wasn't judging me. Angels weren't judging mm -hmm. me. I, you, when we, the more good we become, the more we just don't want anyone to suffer evil. So if we've caused harm to someone, we, we don't want it. But uh, I don't think that anybody in heaven is saying like, I can't believe you did that. You know, it's just not what heaven is. They know exactly why we did it. it we did it because hell pushed us into doing it, you know? Um, so that, that's a couple of thoughts. Karen, you have one more before we move on? Yeah, we have a short clip called um, Shame Versus Healthy Regret in the Repentance Process. And a pang of regret can be very useful if it wakes you up, like wakes you up to feeling like, oh, that hurt somebody or that did some harm and I don't want to do that anymore. But shame is just kind of reliving it and reliving it and reliving it. I'm a bad person because I did this five years ago. And that is like Curtis is saying, nothing that heaven or the Lord is interested in because we are who we are right now, what we care about, not what we were in the past. And one method, Chelsea was giving some good methods, but I had a friend once who just really talked about herself as a different person in the past. Like she would have parenting things she regretted when she was a young mom. And she's saying, well, that her name was Margaret, that Margaret 
didn't know at the time. So, you know, like she'd talk about, and really when I think about my past self, it's like, it is a different person. Like, I don't know what she was thinking, <laughs> but that's not who I want to be today. So another, yeah, nice. that's, great. that's great. Hey guys, in other news, uh, we, we are clear your calendars. We are staying here <laughs> for an extra 15 minutes. <laughs> Thank you. Um, Sherry, who subscribed Minnie, Flower Child, Ruby, and Des. We have wow. nine new subscribers, new people in our email community that lets us, part of what that does too is lets us make sure that we can reach you. Because if you subscribe to us on YouTube, you, sometimes they'll show you a notification, sometimes they weren't. This way, this puts you in control of knowing everything we're doing and you get to come in and check out what you want. So thanks so much, everybody. We'll make that 15 minutes the best 15 minutes we ever did. This is the next question from Nana Rosebud who asks, does Swedenborg write about masses of people dying all at once? Is there an actual purpose in these types of disasters, natural or otherwise? Surely the soul cannot learn anything in these circumstances. Mm. I'm happy to, to kick this one off. Um, Cause I think last, was it last episode? We were talking about what are the reasons why we die when we die. And we yeah. talked about the, the four reasons that people's death is determined by what's going on in their own spiritual development, what service they're providing here to spirits and angels, what they service they can provide in the spiritual world. And uh, was there another one? There was some, those kinds of things. I can never I remember, remember them then and I can't remember them now. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, service here, uh, spirits and angels here, service in the afterlife. Um, oh, and usefulness here. Yeah. So anyway, it doesn't matter. The four doesn't matter. I don't care about that. What I care about is this. Um, I would imagine, right, that this similar principles have to apply with groups of people going to the spiritual world. So the, the you know, what, what a particular group of people will do on the other side. Because you think of people die and then it's over. Dying is a migration to the, to the spiritual world. But the two are so connected that what's going on in the spiritual world affects what's going on here and and in, and vice versa. So you're shifting around these pieces, tragic as it is. There could very well be something that those people going, that something they do. The answer may be on the other side, and what they do uh, when they're there. So that's that's my initial thought. Um, yeah, Chelsea, did you have something? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think your thought is more on point and a better answer. But <laughs> I just um, have this thought. Uh, in response to the question. So it's a little more tangential, but what does Swedenborg write about it? Cause I don't think Swedenborg writes exactly about, you know, he doesn't sort of uh, call it out exactly like that. Like this is why tons of people die all at once. I mean, certainly natural disasters of that kind were happening in Swedenborg's day and in human history. And, and maybe we're a little more knowledgeable nowadays about them than even Swedenborg was in terms of our knowledge of, uh, you know, the archeology span and stuff, being able to see, Oh, look, there was this mass ice age or this, a famine that killed tons of people at once. But obviously in the Bible, those sorts of things are happening too, or records of them are being described. And um, and in a lot of ways, I mean, I think Swedenborg just takes it in stride that like natural disasters are just a part of this miserable life that we have here in the world that Kara was talking about. But, uh, but, uh, but something that Swedenborg does write about is interestingly, which may, this is what, uh, made me think of this in the question is he talks about people moving through parts of the spiritual world all at once. Um, and 
And so it's not dying because it's not dying from the physical world and going to the spiritual world, but he does talk about people being sort of in one place in the spiritual world, particularly he describes this place called the lower earth. And, um, and that at this critical time um, that he says was 1757, when this last judgment took place in the spiritual world, it allowed for all these people who are good people and should sort of were meant to be in heaven, but because of the various attachments and things that they had, couldn't, couldn't make it there quite yet. But um, he describes this careful process of then allowing the time being right for this whole group of people to move up to heaven at once. Um, and, and this whole sort of rearrangement in the spiritual world to happen. Um, and uh, that's, see, it's not exactly relevant because it's just not the same thing as a natural disaster, but uh, it just came to mind because it is one time where Swedenborg does talk about like a mass of people all moving together. So you just know there's got to be an amount of providence involved and, and that uh, not providence in the terms of willing it, but in taking care of everybody's spiritual welfare, no matter what. Um, and, and the Lord foresees things like natural disasters that happen uh, and, and the nature of the physical world can make it so they're not preventable. But, um, but uh, again, like we talked about earlier in the show too, this, the, the eternal view of our life is that whenever we make that transition, our lives continue in the afterlife. Um, and we're as, you know, more surrounded by love palpably on the other side than we have ever been in this life here. So. Absolutely. Well, I think it's a great point to, to bring up um, the mass movements like that, because I think if you're seeing that's part of how the whole system works, there's got to be, analogs even across the you know, physical to spiritual so yeah Karen. yeah i'm looking at the final sentence surely the soul cannot learn anything in these circumstances well god makes sure that nothing will happen unless people can learn something out of the circumstances including uh, a widespread death and that happens also in times of war things like that and think about the power of doing things with a large group of people. I'm just imagining, actually Howard Storm's near-death experience story described, he was upset thinking about the Holocaust and he was shown a spiritual point of view where the smoke from those ovens that killed all those people, up in the smoke there were masses of people in spirit transitioning to the, to the spiritual world and all these angels greeting them. And there was just this powerfulness of... Um, all of them being together and being cared for together. And so I think if, I mean, I've sometimes imagined a bunch of people all dying at the same time and waking up on the other side and having shared that experience and that transition, there could be a lot of power to that and love and um, amazingness. So again, God never wills these disasters on this side but carefully takes care of everyone's experience as they go over. And that could be a very powerful thing to all arrive together at the same time. And there, there would be something about that. Like you, you all together had some, something you were learning or something you were destined for that, that was connected. And to add to Chelsea's thought about the people move, mass movements in the spiritual world in our five re reunions in the afterlife episode, there's one description of, a whole bunch of relatives moving into heaven at the same time. And it's just such a joyful thing. 
and it's just a really sweet story. Uh, and you just get that feeling of like a whole bunch of people doing something together. So from the other, it, things can look so tragic from our side, but if you think of the other side of them all arriving in this amazing new beginning together, that could be pretty beautiful. Yeah, right. And the, the really the, the chaotic, tragic side of it is here. The, on the other side, which is where people are immediately consciously, if they do get involved in some kind of tragedy, it's just important, I think, to, to remember that. Um, Carl, I'm going to want to ask you for your thoughts in a second, but I do want to say FC subscribed. So now we have 10 subscribers and we got some donations. People did otle.cosvox.com. Micah donated. Thank you so much. That Your support is doubled because of the matching grant. Um, and also from Forrest and Peggy, they donated uh. as well. So we got um, a great, uh, all that money was doubled and it goes into making this kind of program possible so Kara, yeah what do you what do you have any further thoughts on this this subject you might yeah i just noticed her last sentence too nana's last sentence about the soul not learning anything in a circumstance like that and it just struck me because i've never i've never had that thought my conception of it is that everyone has a very individual process on the other side because everyone's life journey is so unique and so even if you went with thousands of other people, you're still going to get the one-on-one -on -one, like TLC. It's all about you kind of reception and <laughs> treatment and your process that you're going to go through individually is still going to be your process. That's nobody else's. So I think you're still, no matter what the circumstances that every individual really gets, uh, you know, the whole 100% of the program going on yeah. for you. <laughs> yeah, and, and I just, it just, I'm in awe of the fact that that is so, it is so unique. And one one example, like personally, that I think about often is that, you know, I lost, my mom died of brain cancer when I was 10 years old, and I have two sisters, and we're pretty close in age, you know, one older and one younger, and we all lost our mom under the same circumstances at the same time, and yet we've had totally different, ex like, it's just so absolutely unique. You'd think we are in different families because it's so personalized. And so I feel like that's in, in a good way, in like a really meaningful sort of awe-inspiring way, you know, that everybody has their own journey. And, um, and I see that. And then that's just multiplied if, if a disaster, like a mother dying, but on a like societal scale <laughs> you know, happens, um, then everybody still there still is that personalized this this is this tragic traumatic thing that happened in your life or, or this moment when you left the physical world and entered the spiritual world um and uh and yet that's going to be a part of your story we're gonna you know it's going to actually bear tons of fruit in your life eventually you know just all the same things apply to the miraculous way that the lord can heal us so yeah thanks so much for being willing to share that chelsea and um Nana, hopefully that, that gave you some food for thought. Great. Really like the, the direct, tough questions like that. That's fun. Hey, so our next one I'm excited about because speaking of direct, we don't, sometimes we'll get asked something, what does Swedenborg say about this? And he doesn't say anything particularly about that. So we have to kind of think and put things together. This one I think has some very direct, but still very interesting answers. So Young at Heart asks, 
what religious tracts other than the Bible did Swedenborg think were rich in correspondences? Correspondences, for anyone who doesn't know, being the symbolic language that the entire Bible is written in, that the, that the way that the physical and spiritual world communicate correspondences are sort of the language of the soul. We dream in them. Um, where, where else do they show up if they're really so universal? So uh, does anybody have a, a, a starting thought? Karen. Yes, it's fascinating to think that Swedenborg talks about, and Curtis has mentioned this, it, um, the ancient word, which was the first written religious document on earth, according to Swedenborg, and it was written in complete symbolism. And that ended up um, splintering into all the world mythologies. And, you know, people's kind of lost the core meaning of the of the whole message uh but but it it carried this symbolism into all world mythologies and then down into the religions that resulted from that and so specifically Swedenborg will talk about the Egyptian hieroglyphics being full of symbolism and meaning in there he mentions things from Greek mythology um he mentions lost lost books referred to in the Bible that are part of the ancient word. So it, it exists in, it, it comes through all sorts of uh, myth and tradition and religion all over the world. And he talks about this, this word that contains the whole consistent story that God has, has, um, created a new version of because it has the complete story from beginning to end, which is the, the story of regeneration. Um, but that there is meaning in all sorts of other, maybe not the complete story, but there is meaning in all sorts of other religious texts and, and things and traditions. Yeah. And this is kind of like an, an inference, like that's, that's sort of the basis of what Swedenborg writes about it. Um, and then sort of drawing some other elements together of what Swedenborg says is that uh, the, you know, the correspondences are all around us in the physical world and that that's at the basis of existence itself is that everything that exists has this correspondence or um, sort of spiritual connection, origin. Um, and, and so that's why we can draw, you know, spiritual insight through physical phenomenon um, and so it's interesting to think about that, like the earliest forms of writing are, are often symbols carved into walls of things in the natural world, you know, like the animals or the, the sun or the, you know, just different uh, elements sort of connecting to the hieroglyphic idea that, um, you know, there, there's, you sort of can't get away from it. So, uh, so there's certain things that Swedenborg did call out and, and you wonder about the, uh, you know, I don't. Swedenborg had some connection, um, I know, with with um, India traditions from India, um, but not not a whole lot. And he doesn't write too much about it. Like I don't think he ever expressly calls out the Vedas, but that's another. You know, it's interesting when you dig back enough. Even something like the Vedas, they're an oral tradition that then were written down, but carried through in a different way. So, but still, that there's clearly sort of this imagery based that has meaning to it and it's spiritual meaning that you can draw from it. So, uh, so it's very, I think there's elements of it 
all over through that you can find based on what Swedenborg says about how how sort of divine truth is written into just the fabric of physical reality. Yeah, and, amazing. Go ahead. Oh yeah, and it's just it's not a written tract. There we go. It's not a written tract, but nature all by itself. Oh, sorry, there's a noise back there. Um, Swedenborg says that all of the created universe is like a theater representing God. So you can just go on a walk by the creek and just read the correspondences there about uh, God and his love and truth. Yeah, which is so awesome. And, and so many traditions have reverence for the sun or the moon or, or nature. And is that a, a tapping into the correspondence of what those things symbolize uh, and mean. So great. Thanks, everyone. Hopefully uh, you enjoyed that, Young at Heart. Uh, next question is from Preliminimal, who asks, is the subconscious earthly or spiritual? Or is it right in between both? What is the subconscious? And can, can we link that modern term to what Swedenborg wrote? And where does it originate? Is it, is it sort of just, yeah, the manifestation of our outermost stuff? Or is it spiritual or is it, is it some, in some kind of gray area? So, yeah, does anyone want to take a whack at that? Karin, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Oh, Karin. Uh, well, I don't have a very good beginning. I was just going to start by musing that uh, interesting to think about what, what really would you call the subconscious? Because I suspect that I, I think of it as like the not conscious, just something that kind of is controlling us, though we're not really thinking about it. So it can be various kinds of impulses or reasons we react to things or, you know, all, all sorts of things. And I, I feel like there's, there's different layers to that because we do have a sort of lower subconscious that's um, based in our heredity that just kind of there's automatic things that kind of drive us that we don't even know why and and cause us problems or maybe from early traumatic experiences or, or things that we don't even remember but so there's that but then there's also i think something deeper that is always good that is flowing in and that is god's ordering love and wisdom and the angels and everything and that is a subconscious that will always be steering us in a in a good direction and in a growing direction and expanding us so i think there there might be uh you know differentiation between um, two things that are not or two directions that are not conscious because we're not really ref able reflecting on it yet but uh but they can come from different directions so there's some thoughts yeah well i think uh that is interesting to think about and um sort of going along with that too that uh sort of differentiating terms where i think i'm guessing uh the earthly and spiritual meaning sort of like spiritual versus like physical earthly um and something swedenborg swedenborg uses the term earthly to mean kind of the lowest level of our mind even though that is a spiritual thing so the earthly is actually spiritual and um, and then, and then separate from that is the physical layer of, of reality and of our consciousness and everything. Um, 
or where we interface with the physical world. And, and so sort of drawing back of principles that Swedenborg says is that, you know, and any animate life in, in the world is from the spiritual flowing into the physical level. So, um, and the physical substance of everything in nature is just neutral. You know, it, it's, it gets its quality from the spiritual thing that's flowing into it. And, um, and so using that kind of terminology, then, um, you know, it's the subconscious would be a spiritual thing, uh, and not a physical thing. It could still be an earthly thing. <laughs> that's like Karin was saying, those two different, I love so, so often the subconscious is thought of as like this, Ooh, we're all your sort of demons hide in the closet and, you know, or something. But, uh, I love that idea that we've got this like enormous, um, heavenly subconscious that's actually like giving this amazing amount of positive influence on on us that we're never really uh thinking about you know we have a short clip somewhere about that visualizes the inner self as just this you know infinite expanse of resource of of the lord's love and wisdom inside of us and uh and so i think and so that's a very high or deep level of positive subconscious. Um, and so, so I guess there could be different, different layers of it. Cause then there's definitely the, the kind of more earthly level, you know, that Karin was talking about, like triggered cravings or things from traumatic experiences or, di you know, different things like that, that, that affect us too, that we can reflect on and bring into our conscious experience a little bit more. Um, but uh, so I think it's it's kind of all over the place. <laughs> right. Cara, you have any, uh, any thoughts to add? Okay. I, I will, I'll add one more like totally useless thought, um, which is that <laughs> right. I had one of those dreams where it was like, I went to, I was in the first house I ever lived in, in my life. And I was thinking about like, oh, doesn't Young talk about like different houses that you maybe visit and they're sort of different layers of your subconscious. So I was like, I wonder which part of my subconscious I was in last night in my dream. It was one of the, so interesting. Yeah, yeah. A, a kind of hopeful thought to end on is this, what I call earthly subconscious, which can be all our negative sort of automatic stuff that loops and things that we can't seem to get out of. That can really be shed as we move upward in the afterlife, like if, if we don't choose to stay stuck and focus on materialism and self-centeredness, we don't have to carry that negative subconscious with us. If we get to shed that, that's the earthly level. We can rise up into the positive subconscious. There you go. So you, you asked and, uh, and we answered. So that I, I love thinking about that too. And, and sort of the expansive model of the mind that, that Swedenborg introduces and really I think fills in the gaps because the mind is so confusing without acknowledging the spiritual side of it. It just clicks into place. I feel like once you see the full system that he was describing. So thanks for that question for the minimal. Hey, um, Diana made a donation. So thank you so much. She must've gone to otle.causevox.com and her donation went twice as far to supporting our not-for-profit programming. This is how we do what we do. Thank you so much. Um, okay, hey, let's do another question since we're still here. Um, Flower Child asks, what does Swedenborg say about taking risks in life? Hmm. You know, does he, does he say, is he just do it? 
kind of guy. What what is the? <laughs> I don't know if we have any direct material, but maybe we can make some uh, some inferences. Uh, Karen, you want to start us off? Yeah, I don't recall Swedenborg talking about in that kind of language taking risks, but I do feel like it's a risk to spiritually grow, or it feels like one, because you have to let go of a lot of stuff that you you construct. So we're just working on a show that will be posted on the 17th of this month called Spiritual Awakening. And that is, um, involves uh, needing to let go of a earlier life construct so that you can move into a, a better and more mature mental construct. And it, it can feel like a risk to let go of something that has been serving you long time can be scary and so in that way i just and and jesus says we need to lay down our life like take up our cross and lay down our life in this kind of language so i would say it's not really a risk if you can feel like a risk um so you risk (laughs) you know letting go of your negativity and trying to be better or more loving and that's hard and scary and you don't know if you can do it and all that. And so that can all feel very risky and that's, that's, or yeah, or just to give something a try. Um, I think that's all good parts and necessary parts of spiritual growth. So there's some thoughts. Absolutely. Cara. Yeah. What, what are you thinking? Um, two things come to mind. One is that Swedenborg talks about how, Though the Lord is flowing into us at all times, we are not meant to just stand there with our hands hanging down, he says. Like, it's up to us to make some decisions, to, to take some action, to do something and try to, you know, uh, engage with the incoming energy from the Lord, but not to just stand there. And he also talks about um, the the kind of image of how the truly enlightened uh, people are just, just sitting on a mountaintop somewhere doing nothing uh, except for, um, you know, uh, contemplating God. And Swedenborg says, actually, real spiritual work is getting in there with the people, do, rub, bumping up against the human race and uh, really interacting with human beings in all their beauty and in all their mess. Um, so, and that to me implies taking a lot of risks is to just jump into this weirdo world and trust that the Lord is somehow guard guiding your process in that. Yeah, that's, that's such a good point that, you know, we talk about needing to trust the Lord and trust kind of suggests that like, you're kind of in a risky place all the time, you know, not sure how things are going to turn out, but that you can trust. Uh, and, and I think of, you know, we, um, in, in part of it going along with what you're saying, Cara, of like, the, that's, it's so important for us to live as if of ourselves, you know, we want sort of some presence of the Lord to just be, just tell me where to go or what to do. Um, but sort of inherently there's this sense of risk because we just by default sort of feel alone and that we need to know what, which way to go on this path or something. And that, um, so that's how we establish our relationship with the Lord is through taking actions as if of ourselves, you know, sort of we're, we're at the crest of the wave and the Lord's kind of with us in the wings. Um, but uh, so that's, that's kind of risky 
all the time and and we were we were talking about a working on a potential show uh brainstorming about kind of like this idea of risk but like going outside of your comfort zone you know that same idea of uh expanding that going outside your comfort zone and what and how that might relate to sort of the Swedenborgian theology framework and and it's kind of similar to what uh Karin was saying too that we uh go through the the nature of our spiritual life is to go through spiritual struggles that do just inherently take us outside of our comfort zone if our comfort zone is always ego i'm just happy with the you know thinking that i'm in control of my life and uh you know i don't need any help or whatever and that inherently letting go of that kind of stuff presents this sense of risk because we're so attached to it we're so we feel so familiar so there is this kind of breaking down of the old building up of a new frame of mind and and that can feel risky yeah thinking about you know, if it, even though there wasn't a lot of direct writing from Swedenborg on this, if anyone would know, it would have been him. And he was oh. taking a lot of risks when he was publishing these books that we now quote from and read and, and gather around. I mean, there was a there was huge risks to his reputation because he had established a good reputation as a scientist who was grounded and everything. And you know, to start publishing about spirits and angels, that was a giant risk. Uh, there was, you know, he, it was risky to be putting forth a different theology than was sanctioned by the state and his works were put on trial for that. There was a whole kerfuffle, I think, what, but he was motivated by knowing, look, I'm serving the higher purpose. I'm doing something good and true that needs to be done. It's not like, oh, I, I'm going to go start, you know, do base jumping, even though I have a couple of little kids and I'm it's, that's not the kind of risk that we're talking about. It's like, what's important and doing that and what what's he risking he's risking his ego concerns like will will people laugh at me you know will i lose some sta standing or property in in service of higher concerns which are i've got to deliver the word to people and so to me it seems like risks can be full of uh, of the right energy uh depending uh yeah karen do you want to say something else yeah you're reminding me of a recent podcast was just getting me to think about how even Swedenborg, like we're not, it's it's the way of things that God isn't going to come out and say, do exactly this, and then that, and then that. We have to try something, and then the Lord will work with it. <laughs> and Swedenborg just trying to publish Secrets of Heaven, but it wasn't really working. And so he tried publishing some shorter, ver shorter books. And even him, with all his spiritual awareness and everything he still had to take these risks of like okay i'm gonna try something see how it goes learn from that be guided through that experience and so yeah just try something is a risk and it also reminds me of the story in exodus of the children of israel coming to the red sea and their the egyptians are behind them and the sea is in front of them and God tells Moses to tell them to go forward before the sea starts parting. So would that feel risky or whatever? They were supposed to start walking into that body of water and then it opened. So yeah, I think we have we are called to take risks, meaning just try something and then the Lord will guide you through that action. Well, we took a risk by putting ourselves out on the line saying we need five new email subscribers to get 15 minutes and you all came through. And we are in that bonus 15 minutes. So thank you to everyone who signed up and thanks to everyone who donated uh, for making this possible. And we're gonna continue to joyfully interact with your queries. This is from Ann Brackett who asked, 
It feels right and challenging, but I want to feel compassion and forgiveness for Satan. Does Swedenborg have thoughts on that? So con continuing our forgiveness theme from earlier, uh, what, what would Swedenborg's take be on this, this major act of forgiveness? Well, yeah, one, uh, one thing that brings to my mind is uh, that, and I hear some sirens going on around me anyway, <laughs> that uh, Swedenborg describes that it's angels of the highest heaven and high doesn't mean like high and mighty superior, but meaning sort of like the most rooted in love who, um, uh, do, who, who do help the Lord in governing the hells because they can feel this love and compassion. Like we were talking about earlier that they don't want to judge. They want to put the best interpretation on everything. So they end up serving this really critical use of helping people um, who are in hell and sort of making it the best situation it can be amidst the circumstances. Um, and, and that made me, uh, I thought of that because, you know, Swedenborg doesn't call out a particular being who is Satan. It really is all of hell. Uh, and particularly he gives the sense of everybody caught up in falsity it is Satan's and devils are people who are particularly caught up in evils, you know, like just, uh, evil actions and stuff. And, um, so on that, in that sense, then, uh, then of course, like feeling compassion and forgiveness. If you think of Satan as being everybody who's being misguided by, by false thinking and, and, and sort of the, all the problems that, that result from that. Um, the Psalms talk about uh, people, the wicked, they, you know, dig, dig a pit and then fall into the pit themselves. You know, like that's the sort of sorry and sad situation that, um, we all can get into in ourselves. And so how useful it is to practice compassion and, and holding forgiveness for, for people who are in that circumstance. Um, and when we recognize that we're in that circumstance too, and we maybe feel like we can't help it, you know, that we're just continually falling into a pit of our own device. Um, and so uh, anyway, those are some initial thoughts that came to my mind. Yeah, it's great. And I think actually Swedenborg's, assertion that right that satan is a condition that any of us can be in sort of brings even almost more gravity to it because every time you're forgiving somebody for the harm that they've done based on misguided willfully or not willfully misguided thinking you're forgiving the occurrence of satan you know in in that person um and so i i just think that that's that's cool to think about and and it, if we're looking at satan the character as potentially the source of evil. I mean, it's a huge thing to forgive. So this, it is really hard when, you, when you're going through suffering that, that comes through a world that is not functioning as perfectly as it should be to think about, oh, if I could just find people responsible, I would make them pay for it versus, you know, even if you are responsible for this, I'm going to try to forgive. It's a very good spiritual exercise, regardless of your particular beliefs about Satan uh, as a being, whether it's a state of mind or, or a fallen angel. So I just love the the effort there uh, from from Anne. Uh, any other thoughts, Kara or Karen? Yeah, Kara. Um, so Jesus talks about loving your enemies, of course, um, and Satan feels like he would be the ultimate. <laughs> the the concept of Satan would be the ultimate in the enemies. But one word again, like somebody said earlier, the words are so shifty and they resonate differently with people. But a word that I like is goodwill. 
um, because I can have goodwill toward somebody that's done something horrific. Like I wish that that person had had a life full of love and the best kind of upbringing and all the advantages. And so that, you know, that they didn't have inner wounds that they were acting out on or something like that. Um, so th that's just a word that works for me. Goodwill toward people that feel like they're doing a lot of damage find something to to feel to wish them goodwill about yeah right. and i'll add that yeah if you're thinking about the, the angelic and and divine compassion for everybody including people in the lowest hell if you think of it in terms of they have gone insane swedenborg talks about the hellish mindset as insanity and not in the, not in the way like on earth, if someone's insane and they don't have rationality, but people who rationally chose to just want to harm everybody and be completely self-centered and greedy, that's spiritual insanity. And so people in hell represented by Satan have through their own choices gone spiritually insane. And if you can think in terms of an angelic compassion and a divine compassion, like, okay, these people have gone insane. How? What can we do to keep them from hurting themselves more and from hurting anybody else, which also hurts themselves? And so to the compassion is not like, oh, how can I just give them what they want? It's the compassion is how can we keep this situation as safe as possible um, given this given the state they've gotten themselves into. And it's that kind of compassion. So if you can imagine like being a guard in a <laughs> uh, insane asylum or somebody who's, who's uh, taking care of things there, the compassion to like, okay, we've got to not let these people act out and do harm, but I have compassion. I want to keep the situation as safe as possible for everybody. And so that is a way I can think of having compassion for those in hell. Thank you so much for the question, Anne. That that was great. Hey, we have time for maybe one more, maybe two more. We'll see if this one goes quick or not. This is from B Day 1981 who asks, do we believe in past life regression as the soul planned this life before birth and is the day of death predetermined? So two different they could seem related, but really two different questions in there. As far as I'm aware, uh, Swedenborg does not talk about us planning our lives he's, he's, or, or being conscious before we were born. He's putting that more in the realm of divine providence uh, and that, that that's something that could act in our inner self, but is not necessarily us. But uh, day of the death predetermined or any other thoughts on that, that idea of the, the soul planning this life. Uh, anyone want to weigh in on that? Um, I can start by talking about the word foreseen um, rather than planned. Um, yeah, Swedenborg presents us as our individual consciousness starting at birth, you know, on earth, not having come after uh, past lives because we start here like a plant starts in a seed. It's earthly life is the soil that we start in. Um, so he would not say we were planning our lives ahead of time, ahead of that beginning. Um, however, God foresees it all, sees our whole life. And so in that sense, 
you know, knows, knows the journey that we're going to be on. Um, we're also constantly in contact with a whole network of spirits and angels who know things all about our journey and, and connect us to past lives because connect us with people who have come before us. Um, and the day of death predetermined, again, I'd say foreseen because God never um, predetermines a, like a untimely death, a death from violence or illness or something. That's not the way death was supposed to be in the beginning, but God foresees it and makes sure that that day is, um, is optimum for our continued journey. And so foresees it and plans for it. And, you know, makes sure that we have uh, have everything we need to transition and, and continue on in the next life. Um, Swedenborg was given awareness of what day he would die. Um, I don't know how long before, but he, he knew what day he was going to die and he was really looking forward to it. <laughs> so that information can be shared with that person um, if it's useful. So those are a few thoughts. Thank you. Yeah, great, great thoughts. And, and um, really cool to think about Swedenborg's excitement to go start that next phase of his life. Um, uh, Chelsea and Cara, any final thoughts on that, uh, on that question? Okay, great. Hey, we're right up against the end here. Um, so I think we're going to say thanks to everyone. There's, there's more questions coming in, but uh, luckily, people in the chat are, are talking to each other about it. If you didn't get a chance to get your question answered here, just come afterwards, leave it in the comments, and we will you'll get personalized attention from our excellent moderating team. A couple of people who in that moderating team are in this very panel tonight. So um, just want to say thank you to everyone who watched. And I want to let you know, uh, we really appreciate the email signups. That's so cool. And donations, that's so great. And, and you guys participating and supporting us is what is going to let us keep doing programming and to, to prove to you that we're still doing programming. Let me tell you about what's coming up this very Sunday on our Inside OTLE podcast, Inside Off the Left Side podcast, we have an episode called Connecting to God's Love and Attending Spiritual Weddings. So that's on Sunday. Don't miss that wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, Off the Left Eye is on a quick little break, so we won't have an episode of Swedenborg in Life next Monday for you. But... We will be back the very following Monday with a guide to spiritual awakenings. So again, thanks to everybody. And thanks to all of you in the panel. That was so fun getting to, to share thoughts with you all and just getting to hang out and, and chat for now. Thank you for the wonderful question responses and the wonderful questions. It's always great to talk these things over with you all. Yeah, thanks everybody. I love getting to be here and getting to share in these thoughts with you all. Yep. Yep. Great to be with you. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, everyone. We'll, uh, we'll see you next time. Uh, and hey, thanks for wanting to, to talk this stuff over. We're just so uh, glad every day that, that you're out there and that we can have this conversation. So see you, everyone. Talk to you soon.